Hello, Oman, Konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is the much anticipated UFC 245. It has got three title fights as the headliners, an absolutely crazy card top to bottom. But of course, as you guys who frequent the show know, we will only be talking about the prelim portion of that card. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, you might be wondering, why why would I come to this podcast if we're not talking about the top three fights, these crazy title fights? And the answer is quite simple, is that you probably have a place you already go to listen to breakdowns of those fights in, in the other two fights on the main card. But you probably don't have a place where you come to talk about the prelims in this is where there's a lot of money to be won, whether you're gambling or whether you're playing daily fantasy sports. And we want to help you out on both those fronts. And speaking of daily fantasy sports, we want to remind you that this podcast is exclusively brought to you by BSMMA.com. BSMMA.com is changing the way we play daily fantasy sports for MMA by making things extra simple right? So many times you've probably played daily fantasy sports and you've lost out because the fighters that you've chosen, first of all, are not the fighters you wanted because there's weird salary cap restrictions and whatnot. And second of all, maybe they didn't land enough strikes before they got the knockout and you wind up losing to somebody who picked somebody who landed just a couple more strikes. It took them longer to knock them out. That's why they got extra strikes. You don't want to lose for an arbitrary reason like that. So BSMMA.com has boiled it down to just picking the five fighters you feel the most confident in, how they're going to win, and in what round they're going to win. The more you predict those fights correctly, which is essentially what we want to do in daily fantasy sports, the more you have chances to win. And you can win over on bsmma.com. They've got free games, but they've also got an awesome guaranteed prize pool game going on right now for UFC 245. So make sure you check that out. And to help you out with those picks over on bsmma.com, I have enlisted the hope of a savvy co-host joining me today from the fight library, Blaine Henry. Blaine, thanks for joining me. What is up, man? I'm actually very happy to be talking about a fight card where I can actually pronounce the names on, like, the last card. (laughs) That's right. So for those of you who do not remember, Blaine last joined me on the UFC Moscow card, which, let's be honest, is a little bit difficult to both say the names and know some of the regional fighters, huh? Oh, my gosh. Yes, indeed. But it was a great card, and I was right on a lot of them, so I just surprised myself. Absolutely. And this card seems like it's a little bit easier, definitely easier to know some of the fighters on it, but you do never know heading into a UFC fight card. With that being said, let's put one minute on the, or five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start round one by talking about Jeff Neal versus Mike Perry. So Neal is 4-0 in the UFC. He just KO'd Nico Price back in July. He had a decision win over Bilal Muhammad before that. Mike Perry's 2-2 two two in his last four. He had a very close split decision loss to Vincente Luque in his last bout, and he beat Cowboy Oliveira before that. Now, Mike Perry is obviously fun as hell to watch, but how do you feel like his style, where he throws caution to the wind and stands in front of his opponent, is going to work against a guy like Jeff Neal? Well, I feel like Mike Perry has been doing a um, very, very good job at improving his uh, his patience in the octagon, um, and you could see that in the Cowboy fight. Uh, you know, he, he didn't go in there and, and, and swing and bang like we're used to. Um, he fought more intelligently, and he's been doing that more and more in his last fights. And also, if you look on his uh, topology, he took a grappling bout back in July um, at KSI. Doing that. He's also working on his ground game, too. He actually won that bout. Um, that was right before the Luque fight. And Luque is tough. Um, we obviously we saw it uh, with Wonderboy. He gave Wonderboy a little bit of trouble. 
I think uh, Mike Perry does a good job at um, at improving his game, and I think we'll see an improved Mike Perry this time around. I, I do too, and, and you're right. He's definitely looks more cautious in what he's doing, and and I appreciate his commitment to becoming a well-rounded fighter. Do you think any of that grappling can come into play against Jeff Neal, though, who is so physically strong? Um, no, I don't think Mike Perry's grappling is going to be enough for Jeff Neal. Um, I do think Jeff Neal comes out on top. Uh, this is going to do a good job of getting us ready for the Petter Yan show, who's going to be the next champion. And it's hard to believe that that's going to uh, this fight is on the prelims. But I'm I'm happy I get to come on here and talk about it with you. Absolutely. So uh, sounds like for an official prediction, you got Jeff Neal. And any idea how you think he gets it done? I think it's got to be points. You don't knock Mike Perry out. Um, Jeff Neal's not going to submit Mike Perry either. But Honestly, this one's kind of a toss-up. Mike Perry's great X-Factor, and I think he can get the job done um, as well. But if you ask me to put money on the fight, I'm going with Jeff Neal. All right, I'm going to go Jeff Neal too, but I actually think he does have the power to knock him out. Call me crazy, but I think maybe he's the the one in the UFC who can get it done. And that brings us to our next fight where we're going to talk about Matt Brown versus Killer B Ben Saunders. So Matt Brown uh, lost his – or no, last fought – he had a win over Diego Sanchez in November of 2017. That's right. November of 2017, he elbowed Diego Sanchez into a different dimension. Ben Saunders, meanwhile, has been fighting since then, but he has three losses in a row, all of them being finishes. The most recent was Takashi Sato at, in April by KO. It seemed like Mike Brown, or Matt Brown rather, not Mike Brown, Matt Brown was very happy in retirement, yet he comes back for this one almost two years later. Does that mildly concern you? No, Matt Brown never kind of really retired. First of all, that Diego Sanchez knockout is my all-time favorite knockout in MMA history or boxing or any other sport, period. Um, that was just a vicious knockout. But he came out, and remember back in April of, I'm looking at it, April of 2018, he tried to fight Carlos Condit, and I believe it was Condit that pulled out of that fight due to injury. Um, and he wanted to fight, no, Brown tore his ACL, that's what it was. Um, so he hasn't really retired. He's been in camps. He tore his ACO. He had to rehab that, but he's back fighting Ben Saunders. Um, you know, Matt Brown's the immortal. He's one of my all time favorite fighters. Ben Saunders is tough on the ground. So this is like one of the perfect style versus style matchups. Absolutely. And I think too, if you look back at the people who've beaten Matt Brown, it is people who have at least in some way gotten it done on the ground, right? Like he lost to Damian Maya, which of course people get it, you know, lose to Damian Maya. He lost to Johnny Hendricks, who who could use the ground game a little bit. I, I don't recall, you know, that's 2015. I don't recall necessarily how he got it done there. He also lost to Robbie Lawler, who's got a little bit of a wrestling background. I, I just don't see Ben Saunders as being the type who's able to get it there. How about you? Now, Ben Saunders is great on the ground once he gets there. Getting to the ground is a different story, and that's why he's lost three fights in a row. His inability to actually get to the ground against, you know, they're good fighters, but let's be honest, um, they're no Matt Brown, you know, Layman Good's a great fighter, but he he's not Matt Brown. Now, whether we get the old Matt Brown that um, put Diego Sanchez into the shadow realm, I don't know. But at the same time, it's still Matt Brown, and his experience can carry him through this fight. He's 21 and 16. That's over 40 pro fights, or that's close to 40 pro fights. My math's not very good today. So I don't know. I mean, Saunders is 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 – this is kind of like Saunders' last chance, I believe. I think it is too, but I'm leaning with you in this one. I see Matt Brown as being able to get him out of there. Look, punching power is one of the last things to go. It's why heavyweights can stick around so long. 
I think Matt Brown's probably still got his punching power, and Ben Saunders still has that chin who gets touched. So I'm going with Matt Brown. I'm going by early knockout. How about you? Uh, Same here. Matt Brown, I think, puts him down quick. All right, and that's going to do it for the end of the first round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number two. Look, one of the most underrated aspects of playing daily fantasy sports is the social aspect of it, right? Who doesn't like beating up on their friends in daily fantasy sports? Because it, it's a double bonus. You get to show them that you know more than them, and you get to take their money. And BSMMA.com is making it as easy as possible to get your friends involved in daily fantasy sports because they have a fully customizable create a contest option. You can pick how many people you want in the contest. You can pick what you want the wager amount to be. There's different payout structures. You can choose the different payout structures. It's completely customizable, and I highly suggest checking it out over on BSMA.com. Now, back for round number two. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Ketlin Vieira versus Irene Aldana. So, Ketlin Vieira... 4-0 4-0 in the UFC. She has had a really long layoff, though. She last beat Kat Singano, who's no longer with the company, by split decision back in March of 2018. Irene Aldana, meanwhile, is very quietly 4-1 in the, her last five. Her only loss was to Raquel Pennington by split decision. She bounced back from that with a win over Vanessa Mello back in September. So Vieta has definitely shown to be the more promising prospect of the two, at least in my opinion. But again, just like we talked about with Matt Brown, how much does a layoff of a year and a half worry you with her? Well, this one doesn't concern me quite as much. Ketlin Vieta did have a training camp in 2018. Um, she's young. She doesn't have as much wear and tear that Matt Brown has here. And she's one of my favorites for the Bantamweight division. She's one fight away from a title shot, to be honest with you. Um, that's mainly because Amanda Nunes has cleaned out the division. But she's also like 10-0. and 0. She's got wins over Sarah McMahon, Kat Zingano, and Ashley Evans-Smith. Um, that's three solid wins, and a run over Irene Aldana would be a fantastic addition to that resume uh, to put her name in the hat against Amanda Nunes. Absolutely, and, and as far as style goes, too, I think her style is actually one of the more interesting ones for Amanda Nunes because she is so big and physically strong. How, how do you think that plays against Irene Aldana? Uh, that's where Aldana has a hard time. She's great on the feet. She's got great hands. She's got great more ties. She's just a really good fighter. But once he gets in against the cage, um, it's not really that Irene's bad. It's that Ketlin's so smothering, and she just tires her people out. She did it to Zingano. It was a close fight, mainly because it was kind of a boring fight to watch. I didn't think that was a split decision. I thought Zingano, I mean, um, Ketlin was the, the clear winner of that fight, you know? So I feel like just her smothering uh, strength will be the difference maker in this fight. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there too. I, I think that if she is not able to get Irene down, it, it will be just her pushing her up against the cage because she doesn't need to get you down to be effectively grappling, right? Like she can just put you against the cage and win rounds there. But I also kind of feel like she can get her down in the grand scheme of things. And, and she's got a good submission game, almost an underrated submission game, I would say at this point. So for that reason, uh, I'm leaning Vieta. I'm saying probably by submission as well. How about you? I think Ketlin wins at round two, ground and pound. All right. And that's going to bring us to our next fight, which is a crazy exciting flyweight fight. We're going to talk about Brandon Moreno versus Kai Kara France. So Moreno had a draw in his return to the promotion back in September against Askar Askarov. And then Kai Kara France is quietly 3-0 in the UFC after finally getting the call after being in tough all that time before. His wins are over Elias Garcia, Raulan Paivia, 
and Mark De La Rosa, all by decisions. So uh, obviously this is exciting for a lot of reasons. Both of these two bring the action, but they also bring it in very different ways. It seems almost like a classic striker versus grappler match. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, it's a striker versus grappler match, but Kai Carl Friends is one of the best fighters in that division right now as we speak. Um, he could threaten his Henry Cejudo for his uh, one of his belts when he decides he wants to fight at flyweight again. Um, Brandon Marino's a great fighter. You know, he's got some good wins on his resume. But what Kaikara France proved to me in his last bout, um, he fought uh, what's his name? De La Rosa. Mark De La Rosa. Yeah, the the the, the Jets guy. He got he got De La Rosa to give up his game plan of getting you on the ground and to bang with him because he was so frustrating to get on the ground. He was very hard to take down. And Kaikara France dominated that fight, and I feel like he can do the same thing with Brandon Marino. I have a little bit more respect for De La Rosa's ground game than Marino. Marino's great, don't get me wrong, but he's no he's no Mark De La Rosa. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, too. I've always kind of thought that uh, Brandon Marino was a little bit overrated in his ground game. He's got the subs. His subs are clearly there. He just is sloppy sometimes, and most of those subs come in transitional points, right? They come when he's scrambling. They come when the other guy's shooting a takedown. They come at those types of times, which you know Kaikara France is not going to initiate any of those, right? Kaikara France, like you said, is so frustrating when you have him on the feet. He's so irritating. They had him set up to fight Sergio Pettis before Sergio Pettis left for, uh, for Bellator. So I think they see that too in him. I think that this is a great matchup for him stylistically, though. How about you? Yeah, I think this is going to be a great showcase of his skills. Um, if you watch Elias Garcia, he's also the cousin of Sergio Pettis, and he, he looked great in that fight, too. He he completely ran through Elias, who was a Duke Rufus. You know, he that's that's his, that's his guy. Anthony and, and Sergio is his cousin. That's where he's at. So I, don't, I, I just... Uh, kind of, I don't want to say this bad about Brandon Marino, but he's kind of a sacrificial lamb here while the flyweight division kind of is stalled out. I, I totally agree with you, too. And, and I know he's friends with Henry Cejudo, too, so that makes it a little bit extra interesting for Kaikara France. I think he comes out and does it in impressive fashion. He does have three straight decisions on his UFC record, though. Do you think he can finally get that stoppage? I think it's going to be a quick stoppage here. All right, I'm actually going to go by decision. While I really want to call him by knockout and it would be really great for his career, I do think, uh, you know, he's a flyweight. It's tough to predict a flyweight knockout sometimes. And that's going to do it for the end of round two. We are out of time. we still got three more fights we're going to talk about in round number three, and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. So there is no MMA daily fantasy site out there that wants you to win based on what you know more than bsma.com. That is an actual fact. They want to prove that the people who know the most about MMA and know the most about how fights are going to go come out on top. And one of the coolest ways that they're doing that right now is with their bonus structures. So you can attach a bonus to a fighter that you think is going to win and tell us how that fight's going to go and get a little bit extra points. So for instance, if you think your fighter is going to get a bunch of takedowns, you slap on the Slater bonus, you get extra points every single time they hit a takedown. If you think the person's got one-punch knockout power, they've got bonuses for that as well as getting the fight done early. There's all kinds of different bonuses that are highlighting the knowledge that you have about MMA. So finish listening to this podcast, head over to bsmma.com, and get in on that action. Now, back for the final round. All right, and we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. 
And we're going to have to work a little faster with these ones. So we're going to start with Chase Hooper versus Daniel Tamer. Hooper won his contract on the Contender Series, but it was a developmental deal all the way back in July of 18. Since then, he's gone 2-0-1 in promotion CFFC, Titan, and Island Fights. Daniel Tamer is 1-3 in the UFC. He lost to Daniel Henry, Julio Arce, and Chris Fishgold. And then finally got in the win column with a win over Sun Bin Joe. How do you think Cooper deals with the crazy striking of Daniel Tamer or, you know, like similarly of his brother, David Tamer? Well, you see, Chase Hooper, um, this is his UFC debut, and the UFC doesn't like to give people super hard challenges in their debut. And they feel like that he can compete with Daniel Tamer's um, odd striking style. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, you know, he's got his last win is by rear naked choke in the first round. Um, so I feel like he's going to try and bring this fight to the ground and uh, either ground and pound or sub this out. I 100% agree with you, too. And I also think, too, one of the things he's been doing under that developmental deal is he's been working at the Performance Institute. He reports feeling much bigger. The dude is only 20 years old. I think you're going to see a lot of physical maturity out of him since he was on the Contender Series. And, yeah, I I'm leaning towards... Probably an early submission here against Daniel Tamer. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking within the first a minute and a half. All right, and that's going to take us to our second fight, which is Jessica Evil I versus Vivian Arrio. I was on a 3-0 and win streak at Flyweight until she ran into Valentina Shevchenko's shinbone, uh, which is probably <laughs> one of the best KOs of the year. Yeah. Uh, Arroyo, 2-0 in the UFC. She first fought at Bantamweight, where she knocked out Toledo Bernardo, and then followed that up with a decision victory over Alexis Davis. So here's my question for you. Are you at all concerned about Jessica I's chin after being knocked out like that just six months ago? Well, I don't feel like it was her chin that got caught. It was more of the top of her head that Valentina knocked her out with, which just goes to show you how hard that kick was. That said, I'm not as much worried about Jessica I's chin as much as I am worried about her head and where she is mentally, especially just six months after her title fight. A knockout like that on such a big stage is um, tough to deal with, and I'm curious to see how she's handling it. Yeah, I'm curious to see how she's handling it, too. I do see a path to victory in her this fight for her, though. Vivian Arruyo did not look absolutely stellar against Alexis Davis's wrestling. And Jessica I has been known to implement that a little bit from time to time, especially since she's been down to flyweight where her physicality plays a little better. Do you think Arruyo has got to worry about that at all? No, I feel like this is the UFC actually also trying to um, – I do feel she's she has to worry about that. I'm sorry. I, I feel like the UFC setting the layup – for um, not Valentina, Jesus, uh, for Jessica, um, you know, hey, look, we, we know it was just six months ago and you said you want to fight again. Let's see how you handle this. She's a great contender. So I feel like this is a layup just to see where mental head is. It can either be a really close fight, which would not be good for Jessica I, or it can be a pretty quick fight for her. All right. So it sounds like you're leaving Jessica I on this. What's your official prediction? I think Jessica I by decision. All right, I'm actually going to take Vivian Arroyo. I, I like her striking. I think she's tough on the feet. And, you know, I, maybe that Toledo Bernardo, you know, knockout is still so vivid in my mind that I, I have extra faith in her. Uh, but I think she fends off the takedowns enough. And, and I actually think she could probably tag her and get her out of there. So what? I'm going to go with Vivian Arroyo, and I'm going to go with her by knockout. And that brings okay. us to our last fight. That's actually our first disagreement. That's, yeah. that's probably well warranted. Um, so that brings us to our last fight, which is Punahele Soriano versus Oscar Pichota. So Soriano making his UFC debut. He's 6-0. He beat Jamie Pickett on the first Contender Series card of this year in June. Uh, he was supposed to fight in Abu Dhabi back in September, but that bout got canceled. Pichota started 2-0 in the UFC. Since then, he's lost two in a row. Both of them are two 
very good competition in Gerald Mearshart and Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, both by submission. Now, obviously, both of his losses are by submission. Soriano's got a pretty decent sub game. Is that the clear path to victory? And if so, can he force that path to victory? Yeah, that's going to be the way that Soriano gets this fight done. Um, my only concern is the experience that um, Oscar brings to the table. He's 11-2-1, whereas Soriano has six professional fights under his belt. I feel like Oscar's um, experience here will be the X-factor for this fight. Now, whether he relies on that experience or not is beyond me. We'll see when the fight comes. Yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit worried, like you said, about the, the experience factor. He's been in there with a whole bunch of people. But, you know, you mentioned before, when somebody new comes into the, the company, they are taking care of them. And they're certainly taking care of the guys in the Contender Series. Um, you know, not that I'm accusing anybody of anything, but uh, Punahele Port Soriano works for Ali Abdelaziz. It's one of those guys that they, they mm -hmm. like to, to play to his clients. And I think this is actually the perfect matchup for him because he's probably going to rely on that ground game. Pichota has showed a hole in that ground game. Whether it's a hole big enough for him to exploit or not, I actually think it's a much closer fight than the odds suggest, but I'm going to go with Soriano by submission. How about you? Yeah, Soriano does get it done, but I think it's by ground and pound. I think he's going to go out there and put on a beating. Um, these contender guys, series guys, they come out and they are hell on wheels, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like he gets it done, but it's more ground and pound than in his submission. All right, and that's going to do it for our very last fight. That was seven fights in just 15 minutes. We hope you guys enjoyed the show. Blaine, thanks so much for coming on. That was substantially easier than UFC Moscow. So much. I, I'm, I'm so happy that I got to come back on and do a show I know something about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and we'll have to do it again. Absolutely, my man. I appreciate you.